This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Flato. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be bringing you stories from game-changing young innovators who are taking on big problems. To kick us off, a teenage inventor combining blockchain technology and social justice. Here's the background. The World Bank estimates that 1 billion people in the world don't have an official proof of identity. That means that opening bank accounts, voting, and even buying a cell phone is challenging and sometimes even impossible. And this is very much a gendered issue. Around half the women in low-income countries don't have IDs. My next guest saw that challenge as an opportunity. Looking for a solution, 16-year-old Elizabeth Niyamwanga invented a device called Etana. She recently won first place in HP's Girls Save the World Challenge, in which more than 800 teams submitted their ideas on how to better the world. Elizabeth joins me now from Byron, Illinois, to tell us more. Welcome to Science Friday. Hi, thank you for having me. Elizabeth, I didn't realize how huge the global identification issue is. One billion people is bewildering. How did you learn about it? So I really started becoming interested in kind of the gap between women and men and digital identification post-COVID-19. I think seeing a lot of the effects or kind of the gender gap being exacerbated by the pandemic and women were staying at home. And the form of gender and kind of inclusivity took a very different approach in other countries, let's say, as opposed to the United States. So that's kind of how I started looking at it in specific. I'm from Kenya, so I have a lot of family back home, and we'd always talk about how a lot of girls were forced out of school, put into work early, things like that, um, didn't have bank accounts. And those numbers, COVID-19, just made so much bigger. So whenever I was kind of doing research on gender post the pandemic, this is the kind of stuff that I would find. And um, identity was just something that really, really interested me because I saw how it impacted so many different sectors and kind of shaped these women's lives. So the root of inequality... The root of the problem is not financial. You need an ID before even considering, let's say, banking. Yes, you need an ID for basically everything. And I think it's something that we in the States take for granted. But to even receive judicial protection, to receive health care a lot of the times, open bank accounts, even work in the formal economy, you need some form of identification. Hmm. So women have very limited freedom to do what they'd like without having these IDs. Yes, exactly. The reason it's such a big problem in these areas is because the concept of gender and kind of the cultural restraints that it holds um, mean that a lot of people don't necessarily think women should have or want them to have these IDs because obviously it opens up a different sector and kind of a different world for them to start to experience. Um, and a lot of people, maybe governments, family members, think that they don't need it so they don't prioritize it. And that's kind of what also makes this such a big crisis, because if people in their areas aren't prioritizing it, then no one else is really going to notice that there's even a problem to begin with. What made you take on this idea? What was the catalyst that finally said to you, I have to work on this problem? I had initially actually started with finance, looking at kind of how to give these women different types of banking. And I had seen or attended a lot of hackathons that we're working with in the financial sector working to provide bank accounts for women in remote areas or for refugees in crisis, basically humanitarian situations. And from that, I started researching then what are the constraints that women already don't have that are stopping them from getting these bank accounts. 
And from that is where I started looking into identification itself, which at the basis of all of this, again, kind of was my family. I do talk to them a lot, quite constantly, actually. And oftentimes, you know, I hear a lot of stories. They tell me a lot of things that they like, a lot of things that they don't like. And maybe while it's not in the intention for me to try and change something, when I hear things like repeatedly, and I know it's something that I may be taking for granted, perhaps, I want to see if there's a way that maybe I can use the resources I have to change it a little bit. And so when I ultimately started working with using blockchain to build digital wallets and things like that, I then made the move over to identification when I realized that that was kind of the root of the problem. And I, even if I would do something with finance and banking, perhaps later on, these women first needed to have identification to even start to think about, you know, collecting any money to their name at all. Very interesting. So where did the idea for the Itana come in? Yeah. So this was a little bit later after I'd come up with the idea of working with biometrics and identification. I initially was just going to kind of see if I could find a nonprofit organization that was doing what I was interested in and then maybe like see if I could help out there. But for all the tech startups that I looked at, I found that most of them were, let's say, trying to kind of bridge that gap of digital identification but they were doing it through smartphones and apps and Android devices and things that a lot of the women just necessarily didn't have. A lot of these women don't have any sort of internet, electricity, and those are the women that need identification the most. So from that was where I developed this code for it, which was ongoing before. And then afterwards, that's when I decided I wanted to make a device itself that would be able to give these women identification without a need for internet or electricity. So that's kind of where it all came from. So what does the Atana look like? Is it like a, a device we would recognize? It looks almost like if you would think of a phone maybe 15 years ago, pretty bulky because a lot of the technology technically had to go, had to go a little back in time to figure out what exactly would work in these remote situations. It functions almost like a 2G phone, but it looks much, much bigger and it has a screen um, like some other attributes on the side for if I ever want to use any different type of biometrics. But I think of it as kind of like a bigger, bulkier phone. Hmm. And so how do you work it? And so the device itself would prompt the woman to enter her fingerprint, enter her identification. And from that, that's all basically front-end stuff, like kind of the same way you would use an app. From that, it takes the fingerprint and Katana itself converts it into a cryptographic hash. And that hash is then uploaded to a public blockchain server. And the reason specifically we use blockchain is because it's immutable, it's decentralized, it keeps the identification there, but no one can alter it, no one can change it. Um, and that was really important for these women in specific. Um, and from there, for countries that are able to use digital identification, you can then pull the identity basically from this central database, and it's logged as identification. Elizabeth, talk about this cryptographic hash. What does it do? What's it for? The cryptographic hash is... It could never be duplicated or replaced because it's honestly just a bunch of binary numbers, so ones and zeros, but organized in such a way that it's individual to every single person. So there's never one that could be duplicated between people. And then the way that it's also kind of sent, think of it like SMS messaging. So the cryptographic hash is the biometric fingerprint converted into binary. And that is what's sent through SMS to the public blockchain which then is altered a little bit, but it keeps the same components of what was then the fingerprint. And it keeps the same exact um, identification kind of stable in there and secure. 
So this is really interesting. So you store your fingerprint up there in blockchain, which is a really, really secure server up there in the cloud. That's really a cool idea. And how do you use it to prove your identity then? For countries that can use digital identification, all you need is something that's basically verifying that you are who you are. So some type of biometric footprint. And in this case, we use um, fingerprints. But you can also use something like, this is a little bit more, um, I guess, complex, but facial recognition, iris sensors, also voice recognition, things like that. So in countries that you can use digital identification, all of these are stored in a database, which then they can access and verify in their own way or just look at and see, you know, you are who you are. But then there is where other startups can technically help out because they're implementing different ways to verify identification in these low resource settings, but obviously not create identification. So this can be verified in a multitude of different ways. Um, the biggest problem, I guess, was just making sure that these women had identification that could be verified in the first place. This is really cool. Do you have a prototype yet? We do have a prototype. I guess from the money that I've won within the past, I think six-ish months, we've been working like basically entirely on prototyping since the code was almost entirely developed before. Um, and from that, right now, what we're trying to do is create a prototype um, and then hopefully do a research and like small pilot in Kenya at the end of this year. And then how do you go about distributing the device? How do you get the women to use it? This is a big part of what our research is going to be when we kind of go and visit these areas in specific. Well, we are looking for hotspots, places where these women would be able to go a lot. So like churches, um, schools, markets. And in this, it would be easier for women within a specific community to go and use this device. The device itself is only $50. That's kind of the price we're looking at right now. So in that, it wouldn't be too difficult if you have a large you know, pool of money to be able to spread it out throughout separate different areas. Well, we want to make it pretty accessible so every woman um, has an opportunity to see it in at least one of where they venture out locally. Well, Elizabeth, we wish you great luck and, and good fortune and congratulations on winning your prize. Okay, thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. 16-year-old Elizabeth Niamwanga invented a device called Itana, and she was joining us from Byron, Illinois, to tell us about it.